The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. And at the end of it, he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, give them something to eat. Well, his disciples react just like you would. It would take lots and lots and lots of money to feed 5,000 people. And so they pull up this, this kid and this kid has five loaves and two fish. And so these five loaves of bread and these two fish, Jesus miraculously uses to feed 5,000 people. And by the way, they have leftovers. Then if you go on from there, what you'll find is you will find that Jesus disperses the crowd, sends the disciples out on the water, and Jesus walks out on the water in the middle of the night to meet them during a storm, and they panic, right? Who is this guy that's walking out here? And Jesus says, calm down, it's me. There's the famous Peter goes, hey, if it's really you, Lord, tell me to come to you. He walks out in the middle of it, loses face, starts to sink. Jesus saves him. Then, then, the crowds in the morning look and see that the boat is gone, Jesus is gone, that Jesus told the crowd, or told the, I'm sorry, the disciples to go to the other side of the sea. And so they take off running and, and get in boats and go to the other side of the sea as well to go find Jesus again. Um, they find Jesus in Capernaum, and that's kind of where the story starts to pick up. I know this is a lot of context, but there's so much to this chapter that you can't just gloss over it. So I'm going to give you just a little bit more, and then we will come back to what we were reading. And so when the, uh, when the crowd comes and they find Jesus in Capernaum at the temple, Jesus says some very um, offensive statements, right? He says things like, you don't really believe in me. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, basically, you don't really believe in me. I'm just kind of a fancy meal ticket. Um, and then he says um, this very interesting thing. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Now, why is that important? It's important because these people are Jewish people. They are people who were born into the people of God, right? And so when, they, when Jesus says this to them, they are offended. And they say this thing that's really kind of strange. And Pastor Chris has talked about this in some of his other messages. They say, uh, what work do you perform? In other words, what sign will you give so that we can understand this? They say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, what that means is we were born into this thing. We were born as Israelites. What more can you give us so that we can have salvation? And Jesus gives them the answer. Now, it is not an answer that is what I would say a literal answer, though there is some literality to it, but it is an answer that is a spiritual answer. And Jesus tells us that. He says, this is, these words of mine are spirit and they are life. And so as we enter this passage, we need to know that when we have misunderstandings in scripture, when, when we just don't quite know what to do with a passage, there are some things that we can do based out of what we see in scripture to help us kind of understand what Jesus is saying and not be offended. There are some things that we must do in order to put these things into practice. There are some things that we must do as believers in order to follow Jesus and all that he says and does. And so the first thing that we must do is we must seek. If you're taking notes, the first thing we must do is we must seek. Now you say, seek what, Ben? Well, we must seek understanding. We must seek to understand what Jesus is really talking about. When we read a scripture and we are offended, the first thing we must do is not 
look at our spiritual pedigrees, not look at the things that we already know. When we look at something that offends us, we don't lean on our own understanding of the things that we already have stored up, but rather we seek to understand what God is saying to us. If you want to write something down, I urge you to write this down. Fresh revelation requires fresh understanding. And so I talk to people all the time, right? I'm a college pastor, but, you know, I'm always talking to people about, you know, spiritual things and all that kind of stuff. And when you talk to people about, um, especially Pentecostal people, about their relationship with the Lord, a lot of times they'll be like, hey, how's life and godliness? And they're like, oh, it's great. And then you start to talk to them. And a lot of Pentecostal people say, well, I'm just waiting for a fresh revelation, right? Y'all ever heard that? No? Okay, cool. Whatever. Um, So you'll see people who are like, I'm just praying that the Lord would tell me something. A lot of people do that during the pandemic. They say, man, I've been praying and I'm just seeking the Lord to see why he would put this on us, right? Well, they come to the Lord and they say, okay, Lord, what's going on? Maybe it's about something else. Why is my job this way? Or why is this? Or why is that? And then the Lord tells them. And then they don't believe what the Lord said because they lean on their own understanding, right? Fresh revelation requires fresh understanding. And so you've got sometimes to put away that which you already know so that you can understand more about what God wants to do in you, what he wants to do through you, and what he wants to reveal to you. If you're going to look at scripture and you're going to read things like this, the first thing you must do is you must seek understanding. And so if you're out there today, let me admonish you, stop, stop praying for revelation if you are not willing to change. It will not help you and it will leave you frustrated. If you pray for revelation, if you pray for God to show you something, if you pray for him to help you with something, be open to what he says. Be willing to change. Be willing to seek understanding and know that he is God. And so when we look back at this passage, let me flip pages here. I've got all of my paper, which is so antiquated, right? Here we go. Uh, So when I look at this passage, it says, Then the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat, right? We covered that. Seek understanding. And so he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Now listen to this next part. He says in verse 56, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood but something very important. It says, he abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. If you're gonna read scriptures like this one, offensive passages that may be hard to understand, not only must you seek, seek understanding, seek the Lord, but also you must abide. Number two is abide. Now, what does it mean to abide, right? How do, how do you abide with Jesus? Now, not very long ago, and this is the thing that I've said to people for lo- a long, long time now, what I would tell people is if you are going to abide, you must pray and read scripture, right? That's the standard pastoral answer. You must pray and you must read scripture in order to abide with Jesus. But can I tell you that I think there's actually a little bit more to that the longer I study out this whole concept of abiding? When I look at the word abide, I don't just see study and read, study and pray. I don't see any of those things. Here's what I do see, though. When I look at the word abide in in original Greek, right, because I'm super smart, a.k.a. I have a cool concordance that tells me all this stuff. 
Um, it says that I live with someone, um, I would add unceasingly. The, there's a whole bunch of words in there. It's kind of like a dictionary for Greek words. But basically, I don't stop living with someone. And so in this case, I don't stop living with Jesus. If I want to find out what it means to truly abide, we can go to Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 20. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. What does it mean to abide? Well, not too long ago, I would have probably said, live a holy life, pray, read scripture, do those things. But can I tell you, there's more than that. If you look at this passage, this passage actually tells us that there were people in Colossae who were saying, hey, you need to, you know, you need to be more self-controlled. And to do that, you've got to really, you know, beat your body. You've really got to, you know, get rid of all the earthly pleasures. So if food tastes good, get rid of it, right? If you enjoy this piece of artwork, if it gives you joy, get rid of it. We need to spiritually neutralize ourselves so that nothing can excite us. Therefore, nothing can draw us away from the faith. That's what these people would teach the Colossians. They would say that there were these principles these regulations, and even, Paul would say, that they kind of seemed like wisdom, right? Maybe some weren't so severe. Maybe some seemed like they would help, and they were these things that would say, don't taste, don't handle, don't touch, don't do those things that are sinful. And though Paul will turn right around in chapter 3 and tell you to put to death all those things, what we find is just to do the regulations doesn't help. Well, Pastor Ben, how do I do this thing then? How do I live with faith? How do I live a holy life? I thought I was supposed to do that, and you are. Here's how you do that. Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, verse 2, on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And if you go to the very last verse in that chapter, it is verse 25. Actually, that is not true. It is, <laughs> it is verse, let's look at my notes here. How about that? It is verse 17, I'm sorry. Verse 17 says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so if you're going to abide, you're not just going to put into place these man-made regulations, even though they may seem like wisdom, right? Even though I want to live a holy life, and so I'm going to do these things. Well, in the end, what we find is that doesn't satisfy and it doesn't help us. It doesn't save us from sin to try to strive harder. What we find is that if we're going to live holy lives that look like Jesus, we stop trying and we start seeking. We abide in Christ. And so we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We realize that we're raised with Christ and we seek the things that are above and we set our minds on the things that are godly. 
We seek the Lord in all that we do. And so it's funny that the first point was seek, and the second point is to abide, which kind of means to seek, right? If we're going to be true followers of Jesus, we must seek. And if we're going to keep doing that, if we're going to live holy lives, we've got to abide, which basically means to seek. You get my point yet? Seek the Lord in all you do, and he's going to help. And so if we go back to John chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 58, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Now, what this is talking about is this is talking about a time when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. And so God brought them out of Egypt and set them on a path to go to what um, the Bible calls the promised land. It's this place where they're gonna go and they're gonna live and God's gonna bless them and they're gonna go in and take possession of this land and this is where they're gonna live forevermore. This is the land that Israel's in right now. Um, and so as God sets them on this path, he doesn't just put them in a desert and leave them there. He actually supernaturally feeds them with bread that falls from heaven. And so every morning they wake up and there's this bread that's all over the ground, kind of like dew. And they go out and they collect just enough for the day. And then the next day they get up and they do it again. And the only day that they collect more than enough for one day is on the day before the Sabbath. They collect enough for two days so that they don't have to work on the Sabbath. What is the point of the manna in the wilderness? It's that we must rely on God for everything. And so if we're gonna abide in him, we don't just seek the Lord. We realize that he's the provider, that we have to rely on him for everything. And so if you keep reading and you look down at verse 62, it says, then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. If we're gonna abide, we must also realize that our flesh is no help. We must rely on God for everything. And so as we abide, we seek the Lord and we realize that he is enough for everything. We don't have to rely on our jobs to provide the money that we need. We rely on God who gives us the job. We rely on God who could make manna fall from heaven for the Israelites and he can do the same for us. If we are going to live in such a way that we are never offended by the Lord and the things that he asks of us, we abide and realize that God is enough. And so as we move on, it says in verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It's the spirit who gives life and the flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. Verse 65, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. If you are reading passages like this and you wonder what you should do with things that are seemingly offensive, number one, we must seek. Number two, we must abide. And number three, we must ask a simple question, and that is who? Who is God, first of all? If you look, the first thing that Peter says after Jesus says, aren't you going to leave too? Peter says, to whom will we go? 
In other words, who else is there? If we're going to look at Scripture and we see a passage that we don't like, like, I may have to give up all of my possessions, I have to realize who God is. Is he really God or is he just something that's in my imagination that helps me in times that are tough? Is he really God who can help me if my job disappears tomorrow? Or is he just a concept that's hopefully there for my deepest, darkest struggle or my greatest triumph? Or, or may I suggest this, is God the God of everything, the one who made heaven and earth, everything that we can see, think, or imagine? Is God the God who is all-powerful? Is God the God who is all-knowing? Is God the God who can speak anything into existence with a word like Genesis talks about? See, the one who fills us with the Holy Spirit so that we don't even have to worry in times of struggle because as the Bible says, if we go to prison for this thing, God's gonna give us the words to say in front of the judge. That's another passage in there, by the way, I was kind of offended at. When I look at scripture and I ask who, who is God? Is he everything or is he just something? And friends, I can promise you that he is enough. He is everything. And so when I look at passages that are hard for me, what I've got to realize is even if I have to give up all of my possessions, he is worth it. He is worth it. Now there's one more who question that we must ask. And it is this. If you look through scripture, it says things like, who can listen to what Jesus says? It says things like, who would not believe? And if you look in verse 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples turned and no longer, no longer walked with him. The question that I will end with is, who will you be? Will you be the one who follows after Jesus no matter the cost? Or will you be the one who turns back? And as the Bible says, if you turn back, that the soul of God has no delight in you. Who will you be? Now, here's what I can tell you. If God really is God and he really is all the things that the Bible says about him, then as we said before, he is really enough. And so for me, I choose to follow him. Who will you be? Who can listen? Who can stay? Who can persevere? Who will remain a disciple? Philippians 3.20 would say it like this. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.4 says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. In other words, who will you be? Well, you've got to be the one that sets your mind on Christ if you want to be a true disciple. You have to realize that this is not your home ultimately. You have to realize that God has something much greater in store for you. And even if something on this earth should befall you that is terrible, God is enough. And so who is God and who will you be? I want to finish with one final thought. It's a, it's a passage from the Sermon on the Mount. It is found in Matthew 
It is found in Matthew. Chapter 7, verse 24. In Matthew 7, 24, says this. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the winds came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Jesus would say it like this, everyone who hears these words of mine is like someone who builds his house on the rock. A solid and firm foundation, a place where even though the storms of life may come, it can never blow you over. Jesus would say that it is wisdom to hear the words of the Lord and put them into practice. And so what I urge you this morning is if you read through passages of Scripture that are difficult, don't just dismiss them. Be like the wise man who built his house on the rock and follow them anyway. Commit this morning to being one who would follow the Lord no matter what. If I can say something that may be slightly offensive for just a moment, for too long, we have not just, and I'm not talking about you guys in particular, it just seems like the church in America has compromised with so many things. And I'm not being political, I'm not being any of that stuff. I'm just telling you that it says something when you speak with people from other countries and when this nation is called a Christian nation, they look at all of the things that this nation puts out, all of our advertisements, all of our movies, and they go, wow, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't say that to, to bother you. I don't say that condemn, to condemn you. What I am saying, though, is I urge you, live a life that's worthy of the calling you've received. Live a holy life, a life that looks like God, but do it, do it by doing three things, by seeking, abiding, and by asking that question, who? This morning, I, as I was preparing, I was... I was prompted by the Lord. I feel like he's saying there are people in this room who have been hurt by church for so long. And if you are one of those people, then I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry if somebody in the body of Christ, the one who would call themselves a Christian, would offend you by the things that they've done or said, because that's not who we're supposed to be. You see, the body of Christ is supposed to live like Jesus lived, and that is sacrificial love to the highest extent. And so if you're in here today, I feel like the Lord is saying to you that he loves you and he wants you to come back to his family. And if you say, well, I don't know if I can trust them anymore, then come back and be a part of the solution. If you're sitting there today and you're going, I don't know if I can enter back into a church that hurt me so badly, come and be a part of this church. And if somebody does something that's horrible to you, call them out on it. Be a part of the solution. Let us love you and love us back. If you're sitting there today and you're going, man, I don't know what this church thinks about at all. I've never been to a church like this. Never been to a church at all. And you're up here talking about eating the body of Jesus. Here's what I can tell you. 
The whole point behind that was very, very simple. You see, when, when we sin, we have broken our relationship with God. And so all of us, it says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That means that we are actually, actually God's enemies. Now you would say, well, then that means God's super mean because I don't remember ever doing anything to offend him. Well, guess what? We have, but here's the good part. Here's the good part. Jesus came so that you could be reconciled to God. If you're sitting there and you're going, I never did anything, it doesn't matter. The fact that you've never believed in him is enough. The fact that we were all born in sin is enough. But if God left you that way, yeah, he'd be mean. Good news is he didn't know. He sent his only son to die so that you might have life, so that you could be reconciled to God and become his friend instead of his enemy. If you're sitting there this morning and you don't know Jesus, now is the time. And it's really simple. All you have to do is believe in him have eternal life. Lastly, if you're sitting there and you're going, hey, I don't know if I can do all the things in scripture. Guess what? God can help. God can help. All you have to do is commit that you will do the best that you can and you will pursue God with all you have and he'll work it out. Amen. Amen. Can I pray for you? And as I do, here's what I want. You know, usually we do altar calls where we say you can come up to the front and we can do that after service. That's fine. Here's what I want to do right now, though. Would you in your seat right now, as I pray for you, if you have something in your heart that just isn't right, if you know, if you know there's a place where you need God's help, if you're one of those people who have looked at scripture and walked away from it, it's okay. You can repent this morning. You can say, hey, I'm going to live my life regardless of the cost for Jesus from this moment forward. If you're sitting there and you're going, hey, I, I don't know Jesus at all. Now's the perfect time. Lord, I believe in you. I ask forgiveness of sin. Wherever you are, if you're one of those people who has this down, awesome. Then rejoice in the Lord and the fact that he has worked on you because you know he has before you got to this point. Whatever the case may be, let's pray. Let's ask for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we come in the name of Jesus and we are so thankful for you and for your sacrifice on the cross for our sin. Because what it means is we can be reconciled to a God who is eternal and who gives us eternal life. We don't have to be your enemy because of the thing that Jesus did on the cross. And so, Father, we come right now. Lord, we come trusting that you're God. We come trusting that you're good. We come trusting. And in that, if there is repentance, we repent. Thank you, God, for loving us enough that you would look out for us, that you would take care of us, that you would call us to a life that is hard. Because God, if it was easy, well, it wouldn't be. So thanks, Lord. Thanks for all that you do for us. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.